Welcome, everybody, to the Natural Born Hunter podcast brought to you by Mountain Ops. Mountain Ops is a supplement company that specializes in the needs of the hunter. If you need a little more protein in your diet, boom, hit up the Magnum. Three different sources of protein in there. So it absorbs in your body at different points in time, making it last longer so you can get stronger. You can also check out their Yeti pre-workout, perfect for hitting max lifts, PRs, getting your head in the game, and getting after it. They also have Enduro. For those of you who are a little more cardio-based in your workouts, looking to charge hard for long hours at a time. Today we're starting a new series where we talk about Eastern hunters preparing to go out West to hunt and what they need to do to succeed out in the mountains. So we have on Aaron Snyder, highly regarded in Western hunting is probably one of the best or at least most active backcountry hunters out there today. <laughs> you don't have to be the best as long as you go a lot, right, Aaron? Well, it's sheer, yeah, it's sheer numbers at that point. If you go enough, you're going to kill something. So I'm an Eastern hunter. I plan on coming out to Colorado this uh, September. Where the hell do I start? Oh, uh, obviously the first thing you're gonna have to pick a state, right? Like, uh, you're gonna need to figure out, you know, in your case, you said Colorado, but there's a lot of options, Idaho, Colorado, Washington, Oregon, Montana, Arizona, New Mexico. Some of those aren't an option cause you have to draw the tag, but you're going to want to, you know, first choose a state that if you don't have any points or anything built up that has, you know, an optimal amount of over the counter tags. And what an over the counter tag means is you can just pull into Walmart and buy the tag. Um, Idaho, uh, Washington, Oregon, Colorado, Montana, they all have those. Same as, same as Wyoming. Um, Idaho and Colorado are two very good states. In a lot of ways, Idaho has some, um, some wolf problems, but ample amount of elk, ample amount of public land, and ample amount of over-the-counter tags. So once you choose which state, you know, the big thing is going to be obviously what unit to go into you know, what wilderness area, are you going to backpack hunt, are you going to, you know, day hunt, set up a wall tent, go in and out from there, you know, what what type of hunt you'll be doing. You know, in my case, um, I really only backpack hunt, so I don't, I'm not really up on a bunch of different areas for, um, you know, for car camping and actually being successful elk hunting. You can do it, I just don't know a lot of different areas like that. Mm. Once you get the, um, you know, the unit picked out, you're obviously going to want to pick out the exact area. The units can be pretty big or the exact wilderness in that unit and then what portion of that wilderness. And that's where like the big chink in the chain happens is it's pretty daunting for, you know, looking at a map on Google Earth, looking at a map, looking at Google Earth and knowing there's going to be elk there when you're, you know, a couple thousand miles away. So... Top three states to go to for elk. Um, for elk, um, oh, I'm Colorado, Wyoming, and uh, Idaho. I'm sure. I mean, there Montana's got giant elk, but um, there's a lot of public and private both in Montana. But I'd say Wyoming, Colorado, and Idaho. So pick the state. Now you got to pick what kind of hunting you're gonna do, right? Yep, if you're going to car camp or backpack hunt, 
you know, if you're going to hunt early in the season where they don't call as much, uh, you know, where you're going to be, be doing a little more probably spot and stock or hunt a little bit later in the season where they're going to be calling quite a bit more, you know, you also have to take into consideration uh, the amount of pressure. Um, you know, some areas get a lot more pressure than others. Some areas have more elk numbers than others. Uh, some areas, you know, without having any preference points, you may not, I won't say you wouldn't see an elk, but it can be difficult if you're taking a blind shot in the dark and uh, have no idea where you're going or what you're doing. Um, it can be all-consuming, and, you, you know, you may, uh, for, because of lack of experience, just not get into that many elk. It's pretty hard not to get into elk if you are in good enough shape because there's just that many elk in some of these states. All right, so let's go by like number success rate. If I'm gonna go right, and I've picked Colorado, what do you think people have more success at doing like a backpack style hunt or like car or base camp style hunt? Where where do you think they have better odds? It really depends on their fitness level because if their fitness level isn't you know, relatively decent, they try to do a backpack hunt, it probably won't be overly successful because they're going to be pooped out by the time they get into their, you know, chosen area. Uh, and it is always easier from the armchair to uh, to pick where you're going to go. And, uh, you know, and then actually getting there is completely different. The altitude is a big problem in Colorado for guys. In fact, I think when you did train to hunt, it crushed you because you came from New York to here with a 9,000 foot elevation game. Yeah, yeah, it murdered me. And the thing is, there's not there's not really anything you can do necessarily to prepare for it other than, sure, you can get in the best shape you possibly can, but even then, it's like your body can only do so much with that. Yeah, you definitely, if, you, if you're in a, you know, in your case, show up and do the train to hunt or, or in some case, if you can't, acclimate it can be a big problem you know it's always good if you can to um you know be able to take a day or two of uh you know non-high activity and uh, get used to the altitude acclimate yourself and uh you know don't just go from sea level to 11,000 feet and some people are going to be more prone to uh, altitude sickness or or uh, or headaches in general when they get into the higher altitude than others and yeah, no matter how much you train until you get out here, you won't know how your body's gonna gonna handle it. What kind of training would you recommend? Like, because not Inter everyone's gonna be gung ho. Yeah, I mean, if you can do intervals, um, I mean, I've had great luck with intervals. You know, whether or not you run or you put a pack on and hike around, any stairwell that you can find around you, whether it's bleachers at your local school. Um, you know, when I say intervals, meaning get your heart rate up pretty freaking high and uh, for X amount of time, and then you kind of try to get it, you know, then you, for example, we'll do the telephone pole thing. We'll, uh, we'll sprint between two poles, then we'll walk from one pole to the next, then we'll sprint for two, walk for one. Um, so getting your, height, your heart rate pretty high and then letting it, letting it lower back down again, then there's just long distance running. I mean, just run, you know, two, three, five, seven miles a day, whatever you can. The one thing I'll say is running isn't quite enough for
from my experience to get you prepped because once you get that 50 pound pack on no matter how much you've ran your hips are not going to be used to carrying you know that weight you know depending on the pack you're using some it'll be on all your it'll all be on your shoulders but either way your body is not trained uh, to carry that weight from the backpack so you definitely want to no matter what training you do you want to implement I'm going to have to shut that phone off. No matter what training you do, you want to implement. No, that's good. I've heard, I've heard interruptions. All this, all this increased the podcast. Yeah. Phone is unplugged. So if you're doing a lot of long distance running or intervals, you want to make sure and throw a 50 pound pack on your back at least once or twice a week to get your body accustomed to carrying that weight. So, you were to say, right, a program, say you had a buddy in the East and he's new to Western hunting, new to fitness, what would you start him off? Probably slow and steady at first. Let's say his training starts today. Um, and let's say he's, um, I don't know, six foot one and 240 pounds. And I'm just going to go off of a lot of the phone calls I get. Um, he played college sports, and he knows what it's like to be in shape, but it's been a while since he's been there. And, you know, you're probably um, – you don't want to burn yourself out. So you're probably going to want to start off with something you can keep up with if you, you know, dive right in and you push it maybe too hard. You might burn yourself out too quick. Uh, maybe not. But I would say the first thing to do is – Test your physical level. See where you're at. So head out to the local, you know, bleachers at your school. And, you know, depending upon how many, you know, how, how much stairwells, how many hills you have around you or whatever, pick the nastiest hill you've got. See, you know, however much the altitude gain is. And uh, say, okay, today I'm going to go up and down this thing six times with no pack on. And, and if you if you crush that, it doesn't bother you at all then you know, okay, I got a decent level of fitness and then start kind of bracket it from there. Say if up and down this thing six times wasn't a problem, one, increase, uh, you know, your reps more or less. Say, okay, I'm going to do at a minimum of, of 10, no matter what I do when I get out here. But if you're not a runner, throw on the next time, throw on 35 pounds, go up and down six times. If you feel good, go up to 10 times, um, you know, kind of base it off what your body's telling you more than what you read from somebody's fitness program, you know, they're not you and they're not where you're at or, or whatever else you want to push yourself as hard as you can. Uh, but you don't want to set unattainable goals. You want to set goals you, you can achieve. And obviously and keep increasing those goals as time goes on, you know, by the time it's said and done, if you're starting now, you know, you want to hit your peak performance, obviously end of August, I mean, mid August, right when you're getting ready to go, you want to be at that highest performance level. And so you want to keep a log of where you started, how much you've increased, uh, you know, or how much you can increase. And obviously that log isn't just to write down what you've done. It's also to write down how much better you have gotten. And, you know, the, the hill climb or the bleacher climb is just one thing. Also running, run a mile for your first time and uh, see time it. If you ran a 10-minute mile, which is not a great time, then try to run a mile three times a week, let's say, and do, um, oh, 
is if you can get to a seven minute mile, you're doing pretty good. You know, and kind of base it off of that. So it's not necessarily people have to become marathoners to do this. It's about those intervals, like you say, small distance, higher intensity, start getting your hips used to some weight, you know, maybe set a standard workout like a mile run or, you know, fast pace hike with your pack. And then, you know, keep retesting it as your training's going to see what your improvements are. Log it all so you can stay on track so you know where, you, where you're coming from, where you're going. You know, I think that always helps mentally. Um, well, it helps you know that you've made progress. And I, there's no right or wrong answer. And the thing is, is um, uh, oh, who's it get? Dan uh, Staten, Dan the fitness man. Yeah, yep. He's a physical machine right he can yep. super fit but not everybody's um dan staten and you're going to want to not that dan is very i mean he's a very knowledgeable guy and um but what i'm getting at is if you if you if you pull a workout program that's meant for special forces off the internet and try to uh, perform that workout program there's a good chance you're going to be let down where if you go out and you kind of, you know, you give it all you got, but you base uh, your workout program off of your own ability and gain from there. It seems like that to me for the guys I've worked with has been better off because there's nothing, um, there's nothing saying that there isn't, there is a specific level you have to be at uh, physically to be a successful elk hunter. Just do your best. Um, now, we train like crazy more than we probably should. I mean, we do everything. We have a, a, a hill called the Tower Trail, and it's over a 1,000 feet of elevation gain in a mile. It's, um, it's rough. And, you know, the four or five of us, six of us every morning when, you know, the, the time changes and it's warmer, we throw on a 15-pound, just a day pack, um, and we, we more or less sprint up that thing at the fastest pace we possibly can. And uh, 18 to 19 minutes is, is what we're shooting for to get to the top. And what we can base that off, or what we're using, what we're doing that for is to, a base time to see some days you're just going to be better than others, but we're improving. For example, like if I make it up in 18 minutes uh, on a Monday, and I make it up again on Wednesday in 18 minutes, but on Monday I was about to die and I was coughing up a lung. And on Wednesday I felt a lot better. What did I eat? What did I do different? Um, what worked for me that day and why did I stretch out longer? You know, kind of obviously that's part of your log. But then let's say in four Wednesdays from, from that time, I smoke it up that thing in like 1720, which a 40 second increase is pretty amazing. And I get up there at 1720. I'm like, okay, well, all right, now let's try going up this thing with 50 pounds. Okay, I'm going to go up this thing with 50. Okay, I did it in 1720 with a 15 to 20 pound pack. Now I'm going up with a 50 pound pack. And I went from 1720 to 40 minutes. Okay, well, I've, I've you know, over doubled my time. Okay, so I'm like, all right, it's, it was 40 good. Hell, I don't know. I mean, this is a, a baseline I'm trying to figure out. So now I'm going to start doing it with 50 pounds. And the next week I go up with 50 pounds and I do it in 37 minutes. Um, 
you know, that's where it all kind of comes from is basing, are you making improvements? Because the only thing you've got is, is um, not to get preachy, but what's inside of you. And if what's inside of you is, is um, uh, fluff. Yeah. If you're softer than baby shit um, and you don't have like the intestinal fortitude to, um, to, to push yourself harder and harder and harder, your fitness log is going to tell you that. And it's also probably going to tell you, you may not want to go on a backpack hunt. You may want to, may want to hunt by the car, you know, go in, hike in and out a mile every day. But if you get into this and you're like, you're turning into a physical freak and those small gains are something that drives you like it does us here where it, it is, it's a contest. It's, it's a race to get to the top who can do it the fastest, not just amongst each other, but you know, against yourself. Um, I would base your training off of that. Don't worry so much about get a basic format workout program, you know, whether it be for me, you, or someone else on, uh, on the line about elk hunting. But if you're pushing yourself as hard as you possibly can between intervals, running, backpack, cardio, working out, and you actually log that and you're making significant gains throughout the year, there's nothing more you can do anyway. I mean, you're doing your best. So I wouldn't get too wrapped up into, you know, I need to do 75 burpees and run five miles at a seven minute mile pace. Um, I would get more wrapped up into the fact that, well, when I started this, you know, shit show, I was running 11 minute miles and now I'm running a seven minute mile and a six mile, um, you know, loop with a 55 pound pack isn't that big of a deal. I get back, I go grocery shopping with the wife and hang out with the kids and I'm not dead. You've done your best and you're not going to have any problem killing an elk. But you do that and it, it's just not you, right? Some people, it's just, they just don't like that pain. You might want to set up for maybe a car camping trip uh, or a hunting trip. Horseback guided, either something, something that will require a little less pain. Exactly. With backpack hunting, especially on a um, a true um, holy shit balls deep backpack hunt, there is a lot of pain involved, and some people enjoy that and thrive, and the other other people can talk themselves off the mountain. And, and the phone call, you know, I get lots of phone calls helping guys out. Um, you know, because it is pretty realistic what I do. I'm not a, a great trophy hunter, but I always, I, you know, I kill a couple elk pretty much every year. Um, pretty much always on over-the-counter tags. And so what I'm doing is a lot more, it's pretty realistic to what, you know, a guy from back east heading out west is going to do. And um, sometimes getting an elk can be pretty easy for me, depending upon where I'm at, if it's an area I know, whatever. But other times it may take a lot of physical exertion so if you're planning on doing a backpack hunt you know you need to know your animal you need to know animal behavior things like that but the physical portion is going to play a pretty significant role in your trip because you're going to have to be able to walk with your feet and gear on your back to find those animals what can a person expect to be carrying in their pack uh weight wise for a backpacking hunt uh, for a seven day hunt, 50 pounds is, is, uh, you know, realistic. You can go a lot lighter than that. And I'm sure if people are watching this, but I go, I did it with 32. There's nothing saying that it has to be 50 
it has to be 30 or anything else, but you can pretty much figure between food, gear, things like that, you're going to be between 45 and 50 pounds on a seven-day trip. Now, what do you think, say, the hunts of September, where would that point of no return you should be starting to get in shape by, you know, X date be? Oh, now? I mean, right at the time change, you know, March at the latest. Uh, if you're going to do a backpack hunt, you definitely want to, you know, start hitting it, I would say, in March or at least, uh, you know, starting to get into somewhat of a, of a decent physical shape in March. So, say the guy, you know, person B, they're getting in shape, they're getting ready for this hunt, they got to start accumulating gear where do they start with gear uh the gear i think people um probably put a little more effort into gear than they probably should um mostly because cool gear can be bought cool a cool high fitness level cannot be bought um i wish it could <laughs> yeah yeah but gear can be bought so you can buy the coolest stuff on the planet but if you're on a budget you don't have to have you know the best gear the, the big things, you want to have decent clothing, you want to have good boots, and you want to have a good pack. Um, those are the things you're going to have on you all the time. So you want to try and get, um, you know, spend your most money on the on boots, your pack, and uh, you don't have to go too crazy on clothing. You can buy used clothing. You can buy, you know, a, a set of, oh, Piranha Zion pants are 69 bucks. Um, I, that's what I'm wearing right now. And... Those pants are nylon. Nylon is a is a uh, superior fabric to like polyester, and they're sixty nine dollars. So you don't have to spend one hundred and sixty nine bucks or whatever it is for the latest greatest camo pants. Get neutral color olive clothing backpacking pants, and they'll be just fine. So you're saying don't uh -huh. even worry about camo. You know, put the money in the boots, the bag, and hey. Just some nice, like, uh, I have a pair of Rabs I got off Sierra Trading Post. They're gray. I got a black pair. They're like 50 bucks marked down. So something like that. Good to go. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Same. I mean, get a camo long sleeve T-shirt. That's the biggest one you got to worry about just in case. Uh, you know what I mean? Close encounters, obviously. Make sure your face is camoed and your hands. Those are two big things that people overlook with, you know, camo paint or whatever. But um, the gear, you're not going to be, I mean, obviously, I, I work for Kafaro and our packs are expensive. So if you are going to have a $2,000 budget for gear and you're starting brand new, or if you're starting brand new, I would say a $2,000 budget on gear is going to get you everything and more that you could ever want. Um, that's high-impact boots, good clothing, good sleeping pads, stove, the whole nine yards. Um, you know, the more money you spend on gear, the lighter weight you're going to be generally. Um, but, uh, you know, no brains, no headache. If you're going to be um, stupid, you got to be tough or whatever John Wayne said. I mean, the tougher you are, the less, you know, you, the more weight you can carry. So, if, uh, if you're a tough individual, you can probably skimp on gear. If you're kind of a wiener and you're really worried about packing that weight, you're you're probably going to spend some more money on gear than somebody else might. So is there any places you'd recommend checking out for gear if, say, someone's on a budget? Yeah, I mean, Sierra Trading Post, um, 
you can find super good deals on clothing, boots, things like that. Um, I don't pay attention to camo fire too much, but I think there's some pretty good deals on there. The classifieds from chuckleheads like me that have too much gear. <coughs> excuse me. You can get on classified ads on like rockslide.com and uh, classifieds. You can find backpacks, clothing, sleeping pads, everything known to man on uh, rockslide specifically because it's a mountain hunting website. So, you know, you can pretty much figure like a brand new high-end Thermarest X-Lite sleeping pad. I think is 169 bucks. Um, but you can f find a used you know, sleeping pad that'll do the job or a foam pad for 49 bucks. You know, like a stove, you can get an MSR reactor, I don't know, they're 189. Or you can buy a MSR pocket rocket for 39 bucks and, um, you know, use kind of a cheap little cook set, you'll be fine. So you don't, you don't have to have the best. If you're just like a type A alpha male, the best is the best is only gonna work. There's no issue with that either. Just make sure that you have a good bank account because you can spend some money, 400 bucks on boots. You can spend a thousand bucks on a pack. You can spend 800 bucks on a, you know, a shelter, 400, whatever, sleeping bag, 350 on up to 800. I mean, you can, you can drop some serious money real fast on gear. So is there any that you think you would recommend above others? You're like, hey, listen. I've I've had this experience. There's some things you're gonna want to put some money into. Check out these. Um, obviously, I work for Kafaru, so I'm gonna always suggest a Kafaru pack. Yeah, that's a good uh, idea. Yeah, boots, uh, La Sportiva, Scarpa, Lawa. Um, oh, those are three very good. Uh, I wear Scarpas right at this point. And I have for the last three years. I wear Lawas sometimes as well. Uh, tents. Hilleberg is, is my personal favorite tent company, but you can also take a look at Henry Shire's tarp tents. Black Diamond makes great tents. Rab um, makes great shelters as well. So, you know, you've, you've got lots of options. When it comes to clothing, I mean, there's so many different clothing companies out right now that make good clothing from, you know, First Light, Sitka, Cryptic, Kuyu, um, all make great clothing. I just... You're not going to need that much clothing on a backpack hunt because you got to carry that crap anyway. So you don't need to go too too nutty on clothing. Um, you know, as far as stoves go, uh, the MSR Reactor is a great stove. Uh, Primus makes several different models that um, that I like. But anything on the market is going to be decent anymore, or it wouldn't be on the market. Um, you know, you can't make a heart crappy product. And, and succeed in this uh, in the outdoor hunting industry anymore. You can succeed. You can succeed for a while, but pretty much anything that's been on the market for more than a few years is going to be a very a good tried and true product. Um, you know, you get guys that buy a new bow every year, but won't spend you know six hundred bucks on a pack or three hundred bucks on boots, but they'll drop a grand on a bow. You really don't have to have a new bow every year. Um, Technology has probably only increased in the last 15 years, 10% on archery equipment anyway. Um, so, you know, don't buy a new bow this year and, and uh, you know, spend that money on backpacking gear and just use the bow you've got. Would you recommend bringing two bows? I know some people say, hey, you should have a backup. So here, here's one of the inherent problems. 
I don't bring two bows and, and I have a pile. Of course, I live in the mountains and I can drive back home if I'm hunting in Colorado. I don't ever bring two bows uh, anywhere. Even when I was in the territories, I just had one bow. Um, but what I would say is, uh, you know, a string is probably not a bad idea. Have a backup stretched in string um, just in case you nick it with a broadhead or something. But the reality of it is if you have a backup bow, that backup bow has to stay in the truck. And if it gets hot, the chance of those limbs delaminating in a smoking hot vehicle are extremely are good. Um, you know, it's a little easier if you're shooting traditional to have a backup bow because um, it's just not very big. You know, you can unstring it and, uh, you know, keep it in the shade under your seat or whatever. But you get a compound in a SKB bow case and in the back of your truck or in the front and the sun's beating down on it, you can delaminate your limbs. So it's kind of a problem. So to go back to gear, clothing, what to bring, how much? So for September, I'm going to blanket this, whether it's September 1st or September 30th, even though it does get colder. Um, my general packing list for, let's say, for this year, uh, for September, I have one extra pair of socks and one extra pair of underwear for, let's say, a 10-day hunt. Uh, sometimes I don't even bring an extra set. I was going to say, I'm surprised you wear underwear. Yeah, I know, right? I don't want to get monkey butt. And then uh, the only pants I bring are the pants that I have on. I generally have like a synthetic sleeveless t-shirt because I just always wear one. I have a long sleeve thin merino shirt, like a one, 170 weight um, long sleeve merino camouflage t-shirt. It was a first light. Um, I have an ultra lightweight rain jacket and I have an insulated jacket. Um, this year I wore the Kefaru Parka uh, first slide. Everybody makes good insulated or puffy jackets. Um, that's it. That's pretty much all I bring. What is your packing list for a trip? What's my what? Packing list. Oh, yeah, I don't, dude, uh, for me to try to list that off would Too be much? very difficult. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I did it once with Brian, um, and I had everything with me, but for a headlamp, I use a zebra headlamp uh, for my primary, for my secondary. It's oh, you don't have to list actual what it is. Just like um, headlamp. Well, oh, I see what you're stove, saying. You know. Yeah, pretty cut and dry. I'm sure I'm going to miss something top to bottom. Sleeping bag, bag sleeping pad. Uh, obviously important. I have game bags. I have a Havilon knife. Um, outdoor edge knife, whatever, one of the interchangeable blades. I bring a stove with, uh, you know, the fuel. I have uh, Aquamira, or, which is a water purification drops. Uh, and then for my primary, I have a Steripin. Um, really, after your sleep system, your clothing and water purification headlamp stuff, that's about all you need. You know, when guys start looking at, you know, bringing you know, deodorant or bringing soap, bringing, um, man, I got to think some of the things I've seen, guy, bringing two or three sets of pants, a change of pants each day, things like that. Those are all unneeded. Um, you know, you're, you're not out there to um, win a beauty contest or a, a, a good smelling contest. You're not going to be scent free no matter what you do. So staying light, but staying comfortable and, and obviously surviving are going to be your your key factors to follow. So 
if it's something that's not keeping you alive or, or in semi-comfort, I wouldn't bring it, meaning, uh, again, the pants, you know, soft shell jackets. I'm not a big fan of soft shell jackets. Uh, things like that, you know, you, a lot of that stuff you can leave behind. Giant med kits, you don't need a huge medical kit. You just need stuff to, for a major injury, um, specifically cutting yourself. Uh, you need to make sure you can stop the bleeding. After that, uh, some of the med kits I've seen are unneeded, like giant sets of scissors. You probably don't need a, a big set of scissors. You got a knife, you probably don't need scissors. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't bring scissors. You probably don't need a splint. You just need good field or, or woodsmanship or field craft. Um, you know, if your field craft is good, your your packing list can go down. You know, you're going to need a fire starter. I use trioxane, um, which um, you can get in an army surplus store. It, it's just you don't don't put in more into it than needed. You know, you need this stuff to survive and, and be relatively comfortable, but you don't need to pretend like you're still living, you know, at the house while you're out there. You don't need lots of changes of clothing. You know, food-wise, you want to be basically try to consume 2,500 calories a day. I used to be able to consume less, but I can't anymore. Um, so if you're at 2,500 calories a day, you're going to probably be at about 25 ounces a day, 100 calories an ounce. So. And what would you recommend for food for these people? Oh, it's hard to recommend food just because everyone's um, a little bit different, but you know, freeze, you know, a lot of guys use Mountain House. I started making my own, but you know, you're going to want to be able to sustain yourself at a fairly high level of energy and uh, not have to force the food down your throat and not have to carry too much weight. So it's going to be a trial and error process from one person to another. You know, I make my own uh, breakfast cereal. I use protein powder for a, a milk, you know, sup, uh, I supplement, I put protein powder in my cereal for the milk substitute. So I just pour water in there and the protein powder becomes my, my milk. And I've got sliced almonds and craisins and things like that inside of it. Uh, you just, uh, there's going to be some trial and error on how much food you're going to need for, per each person to actually sustain a high level of energy. Basic woodsmanship, anywhere you know if people can go to maybe uh, expand their knowledge a little bit? Um, can I send them over to my podcast? Yeah, <laughs> sure. Uh, I don't care. <laughs> the, uh, well, with the, the Gritty Bowman, the podcast I do with Brian Cole, we go through a lot of that stuff from land navigation uh, all the way down. But you can go to like your local REI. They have lots of different classes. Um, you know, on pretty basic woodsmanship, backpacking type skills. A lot of it's just going to be trial and error, getting your ass out there and figuring it out. Uh, I hate to say, but you'll learn so much from your first backpack hunt that it'll be more, you'll learn more in that trip than you would probably in six months of schooling. That first trip, because there's so much unknown, uh, you're, it's just going to be a, a learning experience from the moment you pull into the trailhead to the moment you uh, walk back to it. Are there any mistakes or common misconceptions maybe people have that? Uh, yeah, don't yeah. judge your hunt off a of Primos video. It is hard work to kill an elk, and, and you may get elk screaming and running in, but more than most often you're going to have more boring days than you are uh, exciting days. 
Those, the Primos videos a lot of guys watch, that's on private land with relatively tame elk. Um, you know, you also want to learn, you know, one thing we're not talking about much is animal, animal behavior, calling, things like that. Um, Chris Rowe with Rowe Hunting Resources makes, he's got a, a, an elk module which just goes from top to bottom through every elk call, elk sound, why you make it. You want to learn how to call elk. You also want to learn elk habitat. Um, you know, elk are no different than humans in a lot of ways. They need to eat and they need to sleep. They need to drink and they need to have sex, uh, specifically in September. And if you find where they're doing three or four of those things, two or three of those things, you're probably going to kill an elk. I mean, you know, they need water. They have to eat. Uh, you know, they're going to rut in specific areas, usually the same ones every year, and they need to sleep. Just find out you need to focus on where they're going to be doing those things and you'll kill one. Uh, and it's really no different from one year to the next. Once you get in a specific area, those elk definitely, they rut in the same spots every year. So if you get into a honey hole uh, where there's a bunch of elk coming from back east, you probably want to keep that one a secret uh, and two, make sure and come back to that area because it's going to be the same way every year. Very rarely does it change. So I've obviously never done this. Is there anything else I'm, I'm missing or I need to know getting into this? I would I, – the, the biggest problems I see are, number one, biting off more than someone can chew. Um, you know, they'll look at Google Earth and photos of an area and it just looks epic and they know they've been training hard. And so they, they, they'll have these um, ideas of hiking in six, eight miles. And it's just too much. They have too high expectations. They bit off more than they could chew. And that's when your mind gets involved. And once your mind gets involved, if you're not mentally tough, your ass is coming off the mountain early. I think the Division of Wildlife just plans on that because you can mentally talk yourself out of things, that the elk aren't here, that we bit off more than we could chew, rather than taking a big step back and just dealing with maybe the physical fitness level that you're at, uh, the area that you're in and just finding elk in, in, in that specific spot. Meaning, if you've planned on hiking in 10 miles, 8 miles, but you only get to 2.5 and, and you're about to die and it looks like a good area, there's no need to, you know, tuck your tail in and go back home. Start hunting right there. You know, you're at, it's better than being at work. So don't, don't bite off more than you could chew. Two, don't overpack. Uh, generally, overpacking is a problem more than underpacking. And, uh, you know, figure out, um, how would I put this and be polite? Uh, I wouldn't worry about being polite. Well, don't be one of the chuckleheads that hops on a forum and says, I'm planning on going into unit, you know, I'll just use a unit that doesn't matter, unit two in Colorado, because unit two takes like 20 points. I'm planning on going on unit two and hiding Wombat Ridge and going in on trail 75. What do you think? Don't post that shit on a public forum. It's bad for everyone. Um, Why is that? Well, if more than most likely, if you go in there and you kill something, you're going to post photos of it. Then everybody's going to know you killed an elk in there and don't think there won't be 700 other assholes going back in there next year because you made it a public standpoint to say, hey, I killed an elk in here. That may seem like a good idea until there are no more elk there because you let everyone in God's green earth know, hey, this is a good spot. And 
I mean, I, I'm all for helping out people, but use some common sense. And I've seen many areas blown from guys just not knowing that you shouldn't do that. And, 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 and I've gotten into arguments with guys from back east that, um, you know, if it's a high draw area, disc, discount everything I'm saying. It takes a lot of points to get to an area, talk about it, because you always want to help someone. But if you're hunting an over-the-counter area, and you go in and have great success, don't tell everybody where you went because I guarantee that area is going to have more hunters than people, or excuse me, more hunters than animals in the next year or two if you publicize it too much. And I've screwed up my own areas from doing that. So you've been a chucklehead yourself. Oh, Lord, bad. Um, and look at it like, look at it like dating. If you go to a specific <laughs> bar and it's got a bunch of hot women and, uh, you know, it, 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 not a lot of guys and it's a peaceful place and it's just genuinely fun to go in there again there's chicks all over the place you're having a good time but then you go to your gym and you're like dude did you check out whatever you know the bar over on fifth avenue dude it's awesome there's women everywhere well when there's 25 more guys what's the chances you actually picking up some chick and going out on a date because you just increased you know, the bull to cow ratio and effed everything up. So no different than your hunting area. So you're saying don't turn your hunting area into a sausage fest. Yes, you don't want to do that. Don't, I mean, and I'm not saying don't help people, but have some common sense about your head and shoulders before you broadcast all over the internet where you've gone. So, so what, what, what is the protocol then? Somebody's drawing this, they're doing it. Where, where do they go about that? I would say a general, generally, now keep in mind everybody wants me to give them great areas and you can only do that so much before there is no more great areas, but if you are going to head out west, you would probably want to hop on, if you're going to get your info from forums, say, hey guys, I'm heading out west to an over-the-counter area, not looking for anyone's honey hole. But if you have any info on an over-the-counter area for me, please shoot me a PM and let me know. There we go. And then if you become successful, what are you supposed to do? Oh, you can, um, you know, you, there's nothing wrong with posting that you are successful. Just don't tell everyone where you're at. Got it. Got it. Because it's not like... I've hunted whitetails a lot in Minnesota, Wisconsin, um, some in Iowa, some in Missouri. It's farms and private land, you know, and the it's at the risk of sounding like a total dickhead. I don't get people saying, hey, come hunt my 400 acres where there's a ton of 160 inch whitetails running around. <laughs> Open invite and bring your friends. Well, I'm probably not going to tell a lot of people, hey, here's my honey hole. Come on in and invite your family because they're going to invite their family and their family's friends. And pretty soon, there's no more elk in that area. So, but if it's a guy that seems pretty cool, I'll certainly point him in the right direction. It's just you have to have some common sense about it. If I was to erase your memory and you could only leave one paragraph to yourself on Western hunting, Right? How to get it done. What would you write to yourself? Oh, you get out of it what you put into it. Don't be a pussy. That's pretty solid. Is there any advice you'd give to yourself 10 years ago from you now? 
Um, dude, I got into, um, uh, I talked about this on the podcast with Brian yesterday. When I was trying to be known in the industry and, um, and I was young, um, you know, in the spirit of full candor here, you get all consumed with the size of the animal. And it will push you to a point of you might try and break the law to shoot a big <laughs> animal because you put so much pressure on yourself. And you forget, um, and this happens to a lot of people, you forget why you started hunting, right? You, everyone starts hunting. Well, not everyone. Most people because it's fun, right? They, it's what they love to do. And then it becomes a business or a chore or you have to shoot this or that. And I came to a point. I'd shot a few big elk or, or big for Colorado. I'd shot, oh, uh, you know, two or three, well, three bulls in that 340 to 370 range. And um, it got to the point where I was so committed to shoot something big that it wasn't that fun and to a point where, you know, it crosses your mind to break the law. And I guess if I was going to change anything, I would have went back and kicked the shit out of myself and said, dude, remember why you're doing this. And I get criticized for being a crappy trophy hunter, but I have more fun than probably anyone because shit is dying every time I go out. Big or not, it is fun packing out animals. It is fun hunting and being successful. It's fun no matter what you do, but if, if an animal doesn't die, then you're kind of just hiking, right? And I'd rather just not bring the seven pound bow if I was going to go hiking. Um, and I would say, just remember to keep it, keep it fun um, and not make it, uh, you know, such a chore, I guess. Now on the pack out, is there anything we really need to discuss there? Is it pretty cut and dry? Pack no, it up, bag not. it up. and I would say make sure and go to the meat packing podcast or a meat care podcast on gritty bowman just because i went through a whole hour on it but the biggest thing you need to remember you don't want to lose meat you don't want to um but you also don't want to push yourself so you want to make sure and know how to take care of the meat once it's off the animal you know assess how much weight you can pack out uh, whether it be half an elk deboned or or a quarter of it um where you're not going to lose any meat and then obviously learn how to debone an animal, how to break it down, uh, whether it be from videos or, you know, talking to someone like me or wh whatever the case may be, but learn what you're doing. Cause a lot of times it gets overlooked. You got an animal on the ground and you know, it's like trying to change an engine out in the car. You might get it done, but you're going to have some serious problems if you haven't done some research ahead of time. When I post this, I'll post the links to all those too. That way people can just, navigate their way through yeah gotcha no that'd be cool well i think that's pretty much is there anything else you think we need to throw out there to people i would i would just say that um uh, you know you and phil mendoza great info um you know especially like phil's deal with the championship bow hunting with the bow right what right. to do how to get it ready things like that the Gritty Bowman podcast, we got a, a ton of info on that. Rockslide.com, um, you know, is a forum. It's got a ton of info about backpack hunting on there. Uh, and then, you know, don't listen to everyone. Uh, a lot of people repeat shit that other everyone else says and pretends like they're passing it off as their own. 
make sure you're getting good info from guys that actually get out there and do it. Um, you know, and then have fun with it. You know, you're not out there. It's not a contest. Try to get out there and have as much fun as you can. That sounds good. All right, ladies and gentlemen, until the next time, we'll catch you later. All right. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, man.